Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Becky Brown. I'm one of the associate pastors here at First United Methodist Church in Waynesville, North Carolina. You're about to listen to the sermon from worship this week. You can also watch this service online through our YouTube channel. You can just search FUMC Waynesville on YouTube or join us in person at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. every Sunday. Thanks for listening, and we hope this sermon challenges, inspires, and invigorates your faith. May God bless you. So we continue in our our worship series today, um, Credo, what United Methodists believe and practice. And like the idea behind us even doing this really was about this um, strong sense that, I mean, it's probably been the case like forever, but like it feels like, especially in our day today, we need to have some sense of who are we and why do we do the things that we do? Um, and, and that leads us to what are the things that we, that we proclaim, like in our liturgies and in our creeds? Who is it that we say that we are? And so we're following um, uh, roughly the, the convictions that the historic church has proclaimed in, in, in the Apostles' Creed. Um, I picked up uh, Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline. Um, I didn't bring it for show and tell, but it's, it's one of the classic books on the spiritual disciplines. And um, in this book, he has a, a, a chapter on the spiritual discipline of guidance. And he starts that chapter by, by saying, um, In our day, heaven and earth are on tiptoe waiting for the emergence of a spirit-led, spirit-intoxicated, spirit-empowered people. He says all of heaven and earth, uh, all of creation, watches expectantly for the springing up of a disciplined, freely gathered, martyr people who know in this life the life and the power of the kingdom. And I read that and I was like, that's exactly what we need. So today... um, Our focus is on our creed that we say often, this one sentence that's a huge sentence. Um, I believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about the Spirit of God. In fact, um, in the first chapter, the very first sentence of our Bible uh, the Spirit of God is, is present in, in the, the account of creation. And um, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind of God swept over the face of the waters. Now that word, uh, wind, in Hebrew is ruach. And it's translated in, in several different ways. It could be wind, it could be breath. It's spirit, the wind of God, the breath of God, uh, the spirit of God. And the Old Testament is, is full of stories where the spirit of God encounters people and empowers people um, and, and works in and through them. Now, a lot of what we believe and, and confess about uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, we, we get from the things that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. And, and he talked a lot about it, especially in John's Gospel. And especially as Jesus was anticipating his death and resurrection, he anticipated this, this new group, um, th- this church, and what they might need. And so he promised them, you know, I'm going away, but, but um, you will not be left orphaned. God will not leave you alone. God will send you the, the Holy Spirit. And, and the word, the Greek word that's used is paraclete, which is... Um, a word that means to, to come alongside. 
um, so, so that God will, will bring you someone to help you, um, uh, to, to comfort you. Jesus also said that the, the Holy Spirit will uh, speak to you and that the Holy Spirit will stir you and move you. And specifically, he says that the Spirit will convict us of our sin. Like when our lives become out of alignment, we'll know it because the Spirit of God is present and, and even in us. That the Spirit of God will also convict us of the good things too. You know, it's not just uh, these are the bad, sinful things I've done, but there will be this stirring of the Holy Spirit when the way that we're walking is the right way. It says in John's uh, story about it that the Holy Spirit will convict us of, of righteousness. Paul writes about the gifts of the Spirit that will come. Um, that the Spirit of God uh, will guide us into all truth. Jesus says, you know, you don't have to be stressed. You don't have to be afraid about what to do because the Holy Spirit will remind you of what I've said and the Holy Spirit will guide you in, into all truth. There is um, a, a story in, in the Bible. It's an amazing story, actually, where all of these things, or at least in some way, um, are illustrated. It's the story of Cornelius and Peter. And it's found in Acts chapter 10, which is the prelude to our text today in Acts chapter 11. So Cornelius, Cornelius is a Roman centurion of the Italian cohort, and he lives in Caesarea. And it says that he's just a really good guy. Like he loves God, he prays all the time, um, he, he's generous to the people around him. And so it's three o'clock in the afternoon and, I, and that's an appointed time to pray for a lot of people. And uh, he's praying. And while he's praying, he, he has a vision. Uh, God comes to him in the form of an angel, a, a dazzling guy. Um, and this angel affirms him. Uh, this Roman centurion, this soldier, um, the, the occupiers of Israel, and says, God has heard your prayers. God has seen your generosity um, and, and your kindness. And so then he, he says, um, send some people to Joppa and find this guy named Peter. He's staying in the house of Simon the Tanner. And then the angel disappears. And so uh, Cornelius does that. He summons three of his guys, two slaves and, and one of his most devout, trusted soldiers. And the three of them uh, set off, uh, they, Cornelius tells these three guys the whole story and then, and then sends them off to find Simon Peter. Well, the next day, um, it's about noon. These three are uh, approaching the city. They're getting close. And Peter goes up on the rooftop to pray, uh, which is his custom. It says that he's hungry. And so um, clearly he summoned someone below, hey, could I have some lunch? And while the food is being prepared, Peter has a vision. And in this vision, a sheet comes down from the heavens. And on the sheet are, um, are, are all kinds of animals. But they're the problem animals. If you're familiar with some of the stories in, in the Old Testament, uh, the dietary restrictions and the laws, there's a lot of detail uh, about these are the animals that you can eat. They, have the, they gotta have the right hoof and they gotta have the right this and that. Um, these are the clean animals. These are the off-limit animals, the unclean animals. Well, that's what was on the sheet, these unclean animals. So Peter, uh, who is also a devout guy and who knows his Bible, he knows exactly what these animals are. And so he has a problem when in this vision, uh, God says, 
kill and eat. And so Peter's objection is, Lord, like, I have never eaten an unclean thing. Now, I don't know how old Peter was at this point, um, but that says something. His whole life has been committed to the scriptures and the, the admonition to not eat these animals that are considered unclean. But God says, um, don't call profane what I have made clean. It's kind of like God says, if I say it's clean, it's clean. But he objects. So a second time, uh, God says, you need to do this. And then a third time, uh, God says, you need to do this. Well, about that time, while all of this is happening, and you know Peter is trying to, he's confused, he's trying to figure out what does this mean, the guys come to the gate uh, looking for Peter. And so, um, he goes, and while he's there, seeing the guys, uh, the, the Spirit says, the Holy Spirit says to Peter, go down to the gate and meet them. Now, I hit the pause button on the story just a little bit. The Spirit clearly speaks to Peter. It's like there's this conversation going on. The Spirit says this, I say that. The Spirit says go, I say okay. It seems like it's just really clear uh, and, and definite. Was it an audible voice? I don't know. But the point in the story is, is like the Spirit of God comes, and we talk about this a lot when we talk about prayer, and that the Spirit of God will speak to us um, and, and will give us guidance. And in this particular story, it's very specific. Peter, get down from the roof and go to the gate uh, because um, these, these men are there. So Peter goes down, and before these guys say anything, he just says to them, I'm the man you're looking for. What can I do for you? And so they tell him, you know, our guy, Cornelius, uh, he had this vision, and you need to come with us. And so, so Peter goes with them. And another thing about this story that, that I think jumps out clearly is the obedience part. You know, it's one thing for God to speak to us. It's one thing for the Holy Spirit to, to grab hold of us and inspire us and, and, and urge us to move. And it's quite another thing to say, okay, I'll go. Well, uh, Peter goes with them. And so when they get there the next day to, to Caesarea, um, Cornelius is, is waiting for them. And it's kind of like he's on the edge of his seat, like he's on tiptoe, uh, knowing that, that something pretty amazing uh, is, is about to, to happen in his life. Um, so um, Cornelius has, has gathered all of his family, his relatives, his friends, and they're in this room and, and they're, they're waiting. So Peter goes in and he sees the crowd. And then this is what he says. You yourselves know that it is improper for a Jew to associate with or to visit an outsider. <laughs> I'm like, what? Like, what a way to, to just greet the crowd right out of the bat. You know that it's unlawful for me to be here. Like, I'm not supposed to be here because you're an outsider. Immediately drawing this dividing line, this us and them. I'm in and righteous. You are a condemned Gentile, and I'm not even supposed to be with you. And it's biblical. Like, that was a part of Peter's culture. It's just like understanding the, the, the dietary laws. These are the animals that I can't eat. Uh, it was the same with people. Like we're to be set apart and separate and the Gentiles are doomed because of all these things. And, and we righteous aren't to, to associate with them. Uh, but you know, the, the thing that, that, that God says to Peter uh, is what God has made clean, you must not call profane. God is beginning to, to open the eyes through the power of the Spirit to, to his guy, to Peter. Um, 
that, that these folks are clean. And so, Peter offends them, maybe, maybe not. And so, he says to them, so, okay, I've been, sent, I've, I've been sent for, I've come, like, what do you want from me? What do, what do you want me to do? Well, Cornelius then tells his story, the story that we've already just rehearsed. You know, four days ago, exactly at this time, I'm praying, there's the dazzling man, uh, God says to send for you, and um, therefore, he says, I sent for you immediately. And then listen to Cornelius. He says, um, you have been kind enough to come. So now all of us here in the presence of God listen to what the Lord has commanded you to say. Uh, he shows this grace. Um, so then Peter begins to preach. And you can probably guess what, what Peter preaches about. Uh, but he starts with this transformation in his own heart. That the, the Spirit has made it very clear um, that God shows no partiality. There is a gate that has been opened um, to this group that, that once it, it seemed closed for them. And so um, he says God shows no partiality, uh, but, every people, but in every people anyone who fears him and practices righteousness is acceptable to him. And so then Peter tells them about Jesus, like the whole story. He tells them about uh, the, the works that he did and, and the miracles, and, and he tells them about the cross and the suffering and he tells them about the glorious resurrection and, and he says the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name you know I think that's a big part of the whole thing the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us of our sin but then it goes beyond that um, that when we receive the Spirit there's forgiveness and there's pardon in Jesus' name. And like that's when life can begin. And so, uh, the Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit. And that's the catch, what, what Peter sees. And I failed to mention earlier, Peter decided, before leaving Joppa and coming to Caesarea, to bring six brothers um, with him. Six others came with him on this journey. So they're there along with Peter, witnessing this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, they were astounded by this. The Holy Spirit is, is moving in and among them uh, that reminded them of what happened on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, like tongues of fire, like this rush of a, of a mighty violent wind. And it was like it was happening here um, in, in this place of the Gentiles. And so Peter is like, well, What's to prevent us from baptizing them? Because it's clear that God is pouring out God's Spirit um, on them. And so he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus, uh, and, then, and then they invited him for several days. So that's the story that happens before our text uh, that Ted read for us today. So the apostles, the brothers, and the sisters uh, were in Judea, and they hear that all of these Gentiles are coming to faith. They've accepted the Word of God. Um, they are now a part of the, uh, the groups that are, that are following Jesus. And so Peter goes uh, to Jerusalem. And while he's there in the holy city, um, there are many uh, among the circumcised who are being very critical. Uh, circumcised believers, uh, Jewish believers in Jesus, uh, criticizing him. Um, you know, why did you do this? Why did you go uh, to this place that you weren't even supposed to go to? 
these uncircumcised uh, believers and, and eat with them. So there's this whole sitting down at the table and breaking bread thing too uh, that would kind of be fun to unpack. Um, but then Peter explains it to them and, and he tells the story. And as he tells the story, he makes it very clear that I didn't just go on my own accord. Like the Spirit told me to go. And the Spirit told me not to make a distinction. Um, the, the six brothers that accompanied, uh, they also were able to, to testify. Um, so anyway, uh, he tells them the story. And they're silenced by that. And as I think about that, it's like, it's like what silenced them? Well, it was the story of what the Spirit is doing. About the things that they saw. And there was an openness to that. So, uh, this story in chapter 10 and, and in our text, like, it's this picture not only of the Spirit of God coming to me or to you, an individual person who is committed to the disciplines, both Cornelius and Peter, to climbing up onto the roof and praying and seeking God. I think it's also important to know that even Peter was confused with what he saw. When God speaks, it's not always easy for us to understand, but it's clear that something's going on. And so there's this, this, this activity happening with individuals, but it always ends in the group. You know, we say we're better together. It's a group thing. It's a church thing. It's a kingdom thing. It's not this me and Jesus thing in isolation. And so this story continues in Acts chapter 15, and we've talked about this some year, you know, a couple years ago, about this, this uh, conference that's held in Jerusalem, almost like a general conference, we said. But, but Paul and Barnabas are encountering the same thing in totally different places. Paul and Barnabas are sharing the story of Jesus. And these Gentiles, these uncircumcised non-believers, pagans, and you know, all these labels that, that they could have probably attached to it, the Spirit falls on them. and moves them and changes them and and so so there's this conference being held because it says there was much dissension no small dissension and debate and so the church gathers the council gathers those who have been recognized as as leaders and and there's this hot debate this hot disagreement uh, in, in particular in Acts 15 it's kind of like a byproduct of okay these Gentiles are receiving the Spirit We'll give you that, but they need to be circumcised. And I'm sure the Gentiles are like, what? Um, being circumcised was a really, really important thing uh, for the Jewish people and even for this, for this early church. So after this debate, uh, James, who was the head um, and, and the leader of, of the church in, in Jerusalem, uh, in, encourages Peter to share his experience. And so Peter shares with this gathering what we've just been reviewing. Um, Paul and Barnabas share their story about uh, the, the Gentiles receiving the Spirit. Um, and, you know, Peter ends his, his little talk with grace, kind of like, who am I uh, to, re to refuse when God's Spirit is moving, the things that he's seeing? Um, James makes reference to those things, what Peter says, what Paul and Barnabas say. James makes reference to the Scriptures, uh, acknowledges the presence and the movement of the Spirit, and they move forward with inclusion and with grace and with life. In one of his sermons, um, a sermon entitled Farther Appeal, John Wesley says, it is certain all true faith 
and the whole work of redemption, every good thought, word, and work is all together by the operation of the, Holy, of the Spirit of God. Therefore, every person, in order to believe unto salvation, must receive the Holy Ghost. And as I read this sermon of Wesley, and as I uh, re reflect on uh, the things that he's saying, this necessity to receive the Spirit, it, it just echoed to me Peter's sermon that he preached on that day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came, it was tongues of fire and, and, and all of that. Uh, the crowd, they, their hearts were, were cut to the quick, like the Spirit moved among the group and they cried out to Peter, what, what should we do? And Peter answered, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so that you may have your sins forgiven and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance is involved for me and for you. And I, I wonder, uh, or reflect, I suppose, uh, what happens when we do that? What happens when I repent, turn in God's direction, and receive this gift of the Holy Ghost, <laughs> the Holy Spirit? Um, I think um, Paul uh, makes it really clear what happens um, in his letter to the Galatians, chapter 5. We talk about uh, this, Mr. Mike sings a great song uh, at every Bible school I've been to here about the fruits of the Spirit. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us pray together. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.